How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 237 of X-Lapsed, or maybe we'll call it X-Lapsed Annihilation, episode 2. Well, today we're covering a book I wasn't sure we were going to devote an entire episode to, but uh, in reading it, I figured, why the heck not? Uh, there is uh, sort of, kind of, enough Krakoan mutant stuff getting mentioned here. I was just going to do this as, like, an intro to the sword issue, but... Uh, Hey, we're here. Why not? Uh, and the book we're going to discuss today is Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 6, Number 16. This had a September 2021 cover date and a legacy number of 178. The story is called 16, colon, Look Upon Me and No Fear. Written by Al Ewing with art by Juan Fergari. Colors Federico Blee. Letters VCs Corey Petit. Designs Anthony Gambino. Edits Gregor- Gregorowitz. Easy for me to say. I think I said it right the first time I, I tried it, but, uh, hey, I stumble sometimes. Uh, Gregor, oh boy, I messed up again. Gregorowitz, Shan, and Sobolski are our editorial team here. Cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale July 21 of 2021. Now we open with a single-page spread of ketchup and cred, basically filling us in on a mix of stuff that we have and have not covered on the show. Now, for the prelude to this event, uh, you could check out episode 225 in the archives. We open on Throne World 2, which I'm going to guess is a Cree place, maybe? Hmm. I'll have to beg for a little bit of forgiveness on my uh, Marvel stellar ignorance here, uh, which is uh, something I'm not shy about. I, I will tell you that the space stuff doesn't do it for me, so I don't know a whole heck of a lot about it. Here we find Hulkling and Wiccan helping to uh, rebuild the place. And as they are the Emperor and Prince Consort of the Kree-Skrull Alliance, it's really helping to do some good PR. You know, seeing such VIPs down with the boots on the ground is a lot more encouraging than, I don't know, like an American politician having a photo op standing next to an assembly line with like a hairnet on pretending that they're actually doing something. I don't know, anyway. Hulkling wraps up, moving some tremendous beams from one place to another, and then excuses himself to attend to some King stuff. Now, that King stuff is the reason why we're looking at this issue, even though we won't be dealing with it directly in this issue. Now, that King stuff includes Mysterium, Krakoa, and Arako stuff, or Mars. Now, he says he needs to mull it over and try to figure out the Kree scroll position on, like, all of it. Wiccan claims to have uh, been feeling some pretty bad vibes ever since the Hellfire Gala, and even takes it like a step further, uh, he feels like something bad might have happened to someone very close to him. And, well, yeah, that, that happened, and uh, there's going to be a whole miniseries about it, so uh, you just hold on there, Wiccan. Just then, a portal opens, and from it emerges a clattering of mindless ones. 
Wiccan erects a shield around he, Teddy, and a scroll in Cree clothing, and they realize that they're under attack. Not sure what their first clue was, but yeah, they're under attack. Anyway, the attack is coming at them hot and heavy, when finally a mindless one-looking spacecraft comes through the portal. Just a tremendous mindless one head coming through here. Now let's shift scenes over to another spacecraft. We're going to go over to the Amund. We catch up with Quasar, Rocket, and Gamora. Now, if you remember, they were in orbit around Ego the Living Planet when his candy-coated shell cracked, revealing the dread Dormammu down below. Now, Dormammu says a bunch of spoo about, uh, spoo, <laughs> before firing a bunch of mindless crafts from his continent-sized maw. Over to the Tenant, another craft, where we catch up with Hercules, Drax the Destroyer, and Mantis. Now, they're also near all the action and are descended upon by a bunch of mindless ones who beat on the window of their little craft until it begins to shatter. Let's head over to Araka, where we catch up with Nova and Star-Lord. Now, they're still fresh off the Hellfire Gala and the Sword Smugathon. Nova wonders how long this occupation of Mars could last. And Pete isn't really sure, and, uh, well, he's kind of aloof about it. The way he figures, someone was eventually going to colonize Mars, so, hey, why not the X-Men? He also mentions how their Mysterium plot seems to be working out well, which, I mean, it's been literally minutes, maybe hours, since they presented that, so it might be a bit too soon to unroll any Mission Accomplished banners just yet, right? But he understands Rich fearing that there's another shoe bound to drop, and hey, it's been a while since I've said that. That used to be a chestnut on the show. I, I gotta bring that back eventually. Rich asks Pete if uh, he managed to hook up with Call Me Kate during the gala, and, uh, well, they were supposed to, but she bailed on him, uh, probably because of the big murder mystery and maybe because the Marauder done got stolen and blowed up, but uh, Pete don't know that yet. Uh, now, this chat is interrupted by a psychic call from Moondragon. Now, she fills in the fellas on all the mindless hoo-ha, and so Nova is going to head into action right away. Now... I'm guessing from what we're hearing here that he's either got the hot pants for or is in a relationship with Gamora. So again, uh, pardon my ignorance on most things Marvel stellar. Let's get back into the fray. Herc, Drax, and Mantis are wearing those Star-Lord masks, probably so they can breathe in outer space. The Tenant craft is ultimately destroyed. Uh, luckily, Quasar is nearby and able to catch his pals in a bubble. Now, they get a call from Gamera and Rocket, who have just been blown from the Almond via some portal trickery from a mindless craft, which uh, doesn't seem quite so mindless. Uh, pretty much the opposite, in fact. So, hmm. Anyway, Rocket and Gamora float in space, figuring they're about to bite the big one when Nova arrives to save them. Elsewhere, we see Moondragon meditating. I'm guessing that we're at some sort of Guardian's hub point here. Uh, Philavel, the Super Scroll, and I Am Groot are also here, and, uh, yes, of course, he says, I Am Groot again. And, again, I must ask, is this funny? Or was it ever? I don't know. Anyway, Super Scroll is able to deduce that the Mindless Ones are heading to Skrullos, his home planet, place of his birth, yada, yada, yada. And so he calls this in to Emperor Hulkling, demanding that he go there immediately to stop this. Now, Wiccan ain't too keen on this idea and suggests that they send the Knights of the Infinite instead. I don't know who or what those are. Hulkling, ever the diplomat, declines Wiccan's advice and says that he must go to Skrullos, or one of them must go to Skrullos, in order to continue with this Kree Skrull unification project. Now, if they stay on a Kree planet and something bad happens to the Skrull planet, 
Well, that sends a message that they consider the Skrulls to be lesser than, which is a great point. Now, Wiccan agrees, and he heads off to fetch the Knights of the Infinite and head to Skrullos himself, where he'll eventually be joined by his Emperor husband. Now, we wrap up with Hulkling having the revelation that if they want to be successful, they're going to have to release Captain Glory from Intergalactic Prison. I'm not sure who that is, but uh, okie dokie. Uh, that's where we leave it, though, and next episode will be some more lapsed annihilation with Sword. And hey, maybe Old Man Cable will show up. Stranger things have happened, huh? But for now, let's talk a little bit about this issue of Guardians, and, uh... Huh. Um, maybe this one didn't need its whole entire episode devoted to itself? <laughs> um, I guess you live, you learn. This is gonna be, uh, pretty short here, because, um, this is a part one. This is a part one, so there really isn't a whole heck of a lot to discuss here, especially as it pertains to our, you know, eccentric purview, because our characters haven't even shown up yet. Uh, they got a little bit of a mention. We do get some fallout from the Hellfire Gala, which does answer a question that I had but never asked. I didn't know if the Hellfire Gala was something that was going to be mentioned outside of the X-Men books. You know, we're in this weird sort of nebulous state here where... The families of books are kind of crossing into each other's paths like they did during like the, the later 2000s and into the uh, 2010s, where like everything was a crossover all the time. But at the same time, there is that feeling of isolation in every family of books here, where it's kind of a callback to the 90s, where everything had its own little editorial uh, you know, grouping, where you, know, you really didn't venture outside of your, your family of titles. So... It's interesting to see something of like a middle ground here, and I, and I, and I kind of like that. I, I think it's uh, it's not overbearing, but it's nice to see that what we're reading about has wider effects. You know, it makes it feel, I was going to say more global, but uh, in this case more galactic, I suppose. Now, as for the story of this issue, it's, it's Marvel Stellar. It's Marvel uh, Cosmic. Uh, not my favorite thing, but I gotta say, um, I was expecting to be far more lost than I, than I actually was here. I figured that I was going to be asking, like, well, who's this one? Well, who's this now? What's, what's this now? When did this happen? The whole time. But, uh, no. No, I mean, I'm not entirely clear who the Knights of the Infinite are, but from the art, I'm able to glean that uh, they look like Skrulls wearing Kree armor. So I'm guessing that there's some sort of a unified front in the Kree-Skrull alliance. I could be completely wrong, but that's what it looks like to me, and that's good enough for me, at least at this point. I don't know who General Glory is, so uh, I suppose we'll learn more about him either in the next issue of Guardians or maybe in the uh, next chapter of Sword. Uh, either way, um, he looks like, uh, well, if the Kree were to have like a Captain America, I think it would be this guy. And maybe that's just me um, kind of projecting what's-his-face from Justice League International, the uh, the fake Captain America that they had. Was, was that also General Glory? But this is Captain Glory. I, I, maybe there's a relation. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, getting back to the issue and the, uh, the chapter here, really not a whole heck of a lot to say just yet. What I can say is that I had a pretty good time reading this and a pretty good time looking at it, too. The art here was very, very nice. It's to the point where I'm almost afraid that sword showing up might ruin the story because, uh, well, Abigail Brand is uh, pretty painful to read. <laughs> so hopefully she'll be able to keep her sass under control uh, if and when she shows up in this story. But uh, for now, I'm having a good time with this. If uh, you are uh, just an X-Men reader, 
this one might be worth your time. It does, uh, if you're a completionist for, you know, the X stuff of this era, you're going to need it because there is a scene that takes place on uh, Mars Araco, so you might just want that. But uh, as for a story, it's uh, not really confusing, but at the same time, it's not like it's holding your hand and guiding you through it. It respects your ability as a uh, comics enthusiast to uh, to be able to keep up, and uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. But I think that's pretty much all I have to say about this issue uh, until we get into the uh, the real meat of the X stuff involved in it, so that's where I'll leave it. And so that'll take us to the mailbag here. Let's start with Damien, who's talking about Excalibur number 21, so we are in the Hellfire Gala. Damien says, I started the Hellfire Gala planning to buy the whole event. It seemed like a fun idea, and I didn't want to miss anything. When I read X-Force, I began to wonder if I should stick with it, but along came Hellions to convince me to get back on board. This issue of Excalibur convinced me I was wrong to try and get the whole crossover and caused me to return to the status quo of just buying what I always buy and waiting for the rest to go on unlimited. This underlined that the gala wasn't a crossover as such, as it was just a location where all the books would be themselves. Excalibur has to Excalibur. And yeah, you're totally right. Um... And Excalibur is a particularly odd case whenever it comes to a crossover because, as you said, Excalibur has to Excalibur. They don't care about what's going on in, like, the main crossover. They don't try to make things work or flow with the other books here. It's like every other book can go screw itself. Excalibur is telling Excalibur's story. And if that doesn't jive with what you're writing, then too damn bad. It's always been the least likely book to play ball with the rest of the crew here, I... And it's, uh, it's all the worse for it. Damien continues, I did enjoy your rant about the security situation of the UK. We do have a police force, so we aren't reliant on witches, but there have been a number of extreme cuts to policing in recent years. I work in retail in a small shopping center in London, and we used to have a shoplifting task force of 10 police officers who were rotated, so we had someone on call seven days a week whenever we had a theft. In the last year, they had to cut to one guy who works three days a week. We're having so much theft that witchcraft seems like a reasonable solution. They couldn't do a worse job. Of course, you can never find a witch when you need one, as there are just so many druids everywhere. They really are a menace. Hopefully one day the queen will do something about them. Well, I think the best option would be to take the uh, small shopping center that you work in, physically lift it out of London, and maybe put it, you know, make it a sovereign island in and of itself, and uh, have it make its own laws. I think that's probably the best option here. And I mean, everything I know about England, Great Britain, and the UK, I've learned from this comic book. And I mean, it couldn't be wrong, right? Damien continues, The one small element of joy that crept into this book was the reuniting of Richter and Shatterstar. I hope this is the beginning of a reset for Richter, but from the solicitations, it sounds like there's a lot more Otherworld in his future. Yeah, yeah, a lot more Otherworld in all of our futures, unfortunately, and, uh, oof. I wonder if the Richter Shatterstar thing will be addressed anytime soon. Um, I, I did read some of uh, Leah Williams' interview where she kind of ranted about Marvel canceling X-Factor out from under her, and from what she said, this Shatterstar versus the Morrigan thing was supposed to go for a little while. So, I don't know how quick they're going to be to integrate him into another cast, another book's cast, I should say, and uh, whether or not there are any plans for him, at least in the, you know, near future. I'm sure that eventually they'll, they'll get to something. Uh, Damien continues, 
I'm so far behind that I listened to this on the day that the Trial of Magneto number one was released and read by me, so it was funny to hear you talking about it in your coverage of the previews. It truly was a fantastic read. It reads like issue 11 of X-Factor with some extra guest stars, which is also great. I so hope that this allows X-Factor to be resurrected. I saw a lot of online reaction to it, so hopefully it sold well enough to make them reconsider. I'm happy to hear it was a good read. Uh, I'm also happy to report that... uh, Since I've removed myself from Instagram, it hasn't been spoiled for me. So (laughs) that's a good thing. I'm actually going to get to uh, experience it and enjoy it firsthand, which was robbed of me for a lot of the Hellfire Gala stuff here because, uh, well, 12.01 a.m. on Wednesday, uh, well, the Scarlet Witch's dead body was all over Instagram that day. So that was uh, kind of a bummer. But at least the uh, people who spoiled it were kind enough to write spoiler alert on the top line of their uh, little message So we uh, we know not to look at the picture that's right in our face If uh, if uh, we want to avoid the spoiler And no, no, I'm not bitter at all about that But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Damien I, I was uh, wondering how you were doing with the, uh, the Hellfire Gala If you were keeping up and reading in real time Or if you were going to let it go to Unlimited here I know a lot of folks uh, had gotten a hold of me And said that they were going to go back to being all in with the Hellfire Gala, and uh, I'm not sure any of them were uh, ultimately happy with the decision to do so. But uh, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, Next up, we got Meal, and they're looking at teen trauma. And uh, Meal says, don't you just love alliteration, teen trauma? Yes, I I do quite enjoy alliteration. So this was something that was on my mind as I've spent my day scrolling through Tim Drake threads, but with an X-Men twist. And yes, the uh, the Tim Drake thing. Uh, I received a message on the Chris's on Infinite Earths blog on an old Robin post asking what I thought about the uh, the reveal that uh, that recently occurred here, and uh, I really don't have much of an opinion on it. It just feels like DC doing what DC does in that uh, anything. That might stir up a little bit of controversy is what they're going to go with. You know, controversy creates, well, in theory, cash. (laughs) I think what it really uh, creates here is a lot of people going to pirate websites and reading the story without uh, giving DC a dime. But, I mean, DC's going to DC, and that's uh, all DC does. Any publicity is good publicity. And I really don't have a an opinion either way on uh, the evolution of Tim's character here. It's, uh, you know, it is what it is. Meal continues. New Mutants. Really, by this point, they should be considered one of the most senior teams of all mutantdom. Danny should be on the Quiet Council. She's almost the same exact age as Call Me Kate. Sam and Bobby should be like the ambassadors to space instead of Smasher. Personally, I don't need Ileana to be a leader, so I like her in her position. Cypher is treated properly. Shan needs a girlfriend. Rain needs to be healed over all the crap that's happened to her over the years. And, you know, in in reading this message, it's uh, really driving home how Marvel doesn't seem to have much of a plan for these younger characters, right? Uh, There used to be a feeling of growth and maturation, and uh, it's funny. I think when we think back to the 90s, or when folks who weren't around in the 90s think back to the 90s, all they think about is very shallow sort of storytelling and characterization, more image over substance. And, and I mean, that's not a uh, that's not a an incorrect stance completely, but if we look at the big two here, um, they actually made an effort to to age up some characters, to evolve and mature characters here, moving 
kid characters or sidekicks into uh, starring roles or into more prominent positions in whatever family of titles that they're in. I mean, we can go over to DC. Hal Jordan's gone, replaced by Kyle Rayner. Uh, Barry Allen died during Crisis. Wally West steps into the position and is kind of wonky at first, but then really, really grows into it. That, to me, is building character and not the stunt-driven things that DC does now. Or, I, I suppose, it's not fair just to say DC does that uh, that sort of thing. But over on the X-Men side here, we had uh, the New Mutants turn into X-Force. We had the storyline where uh, Sam gets graduated from X-Force into the X-Men, and it was treated like it was... Maybe I over-romanticize it, but it was treated kind of like a big deal. It was treated like a... You know, culmination, you know, he wanted to be an X-Men, he was on the New Mutants, he was on X-Force, and then he was finally given the nod to join the X-Men. He was seemed, he was deemed worthy or mature enough or comfortable enough in his own power set to be considered uh, among the elite uh, of the elite. And that all changed around the turn of the century where, you know, everybody was an X-Men. I mean, even look at the, look at the Avengers, you know, the Avengers... While their 90s weren't quite that stellar, um, they were looked at as a sort of, I don't know if I want to use the word elite, but I mean, it it meant something if you were an Avenger. It it was like, okay, this person has a, this character, this hero has a pedigree in that they were part of this elite team. And now, I mean, who hasn't been an Avenger? Who hasn't been on the X-Men? It's kind of a step backwards, in, in my opinion here, where... It doesn't mean anything anymore. And uh, taking that back to Meal's point here, the New Mutants, I mean, they should be considered like among the senior mutants, right? Some of the most uh, well-trained or longest tenured of the lot here. Uh, they should have representation on the council. They, they really should be doing more than what they're doing. Not that I really have a problem with what they're doing here. They're basically the intermediaries here. They're the liaisons between the adults and the kids here. They're trying to train the kids, make the next generation of new mutants, while kind of not having a any other sort of personality of their own, unfortunately. They're kind of just in this arrested development of sorts where they kind of act like adults, but at the same time they kind of act like kids, and they've got kid problems, but also adult problems. It's It's tough. It's pretty tough. Meal continues, uh, the Generation X kids, Monet needs to be written by someone who gets her, yes, uh, Sink is getting written pretty well and is in the mainstream X book, Husk should be getting more screen time as she deals with her family being split in so many different places and also being the eldest sibling left on Earth, Jubilee needs to get a personality outside of Shogo, and she and Jono should get back together, they were cute in the 2017 Gen X, I know literally nothing about skin, so sorry about that, you know, skin is interesting in that he had one of the more striking uh, looks of the original Generation X team here. When you look at that cover, when you look at the ash can or the the previews that were in um, the various Marvel house ads and in Wizard back in the day, the characters that stuck out were uh, were Skin and Chamber. I mean, Chamber just has a, a wonderfully striking look to him. The you know the burst of energy out of his out of his maw. You know, just he's a really cool looking character, and it's one that really sticks with you. You know, it's hard to create a character that has that much personality without even saying anything. And you looked at this character and you wanted to know more. At least, at least I did. Skin was similar in that he was so bizarre looking 
and he was always in the forefront of the group shots, you know, because I guess he just, uh, I don't know, he, he translated well to the foreground, right? He was able to stretch around and just do the thing. And he was definitely a character I was interested in getting to know a little bit better. And it's kind of sad that uh, these days people really don't know much about Skin. In fact, when they killed Skin off, they got his name wrong on uh, on his tombstone. <laughs> That's how little people cared about Skin at the end of uh, at the end of his life cycle. I'm not even sure if he's been if he's been resurrected. Uh, he might have been in the background of a scene somewhere. I really don't know. Uh, Jubilee, yes, yes. Jubilee needs to have some sort of personality here rather than just being Shogo's carrier, which is really all she is now. It's uh, not great at all. It's not ideal. It is better than her being a vampire. That much <laughs> I will say here. Uh, Jubilee's been put through the ringer here. And, um, you know, I talked a little bit ago about how uh, retroactively we look at the 90s as being this uh, vapid decade that really didn't add much to the comics landscape. I, I disagree with that point of view wholeheartedly, but uh, I think... As we got around to the mid-2000s here, there was this sort of tone and tenor in the air where writers were trying to prove that they were smarter than the 90s comics. And you take a character like Jubilee, who is... I mean, you look at her and it's like, okay, that's a 90s character, right? You just look at her and you know. So they take the piss out of her. They depower her, they turn her into a vampire, they saddle her with a baby. It's like they, they destroy everything that was... Somewhat special about the character here And I mean, we've seen that sort of thing happen In various uh, Marvel and DC comics Where we look at some of these characters and go Ha ha, the 90s, can you believe we were ever that stupid? You know, and it's 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 sad It really is, because I would venture to say A great deal of the comic fans that are still around Probably started reading back then So, hey, you know, the worm always turns so maybe we'll get back into some 90s nostalgia pretty soon And I, I don't know how I would feel about that Because there's only so many times you can read like a love letter to, to an era Even if it's the era that you most identify with Or it might be like that, that horrible X-Men 92 comic that came out Where it was like, nudge, nudge, nudge Hey, reference, reference, get it, get it And who needs that? Meal continues On to Academy X Here's where the teams that I feel really bad for coming, are coming into play I'm going to use Prodigy's speech to Tommy over in Young Avengers to give you how I feel about this generation. They used us. They all used us. It was never about us. It was about us being what they wanted us to be. I'm not going to be anybody's pawn. These poor kids. Adelaide has been through the same arc 83 times. <laughs> yes, it's true. Hellion lost any kind of character development when he had because Bendis wanted Laura to date Warren. Surge hasn't been seen since, like, forever. Only now is this gen finally getting what they deserve, especially Prodigy, Elixir, and Pixie, who definitely get used much more than the rest of their schoolmates. If you want a DC counterpart, they are the DX-Men's Tim Drake generation. Pixie and Eliana and Donna and Cassie come to mind. Yes, this is the era of the, uh, what I call X-Men wallpaper. It's like, uh, they just hit us with so many new characters that it would have been impossible without, without starting, like... An entire cottage industry of young X-Men titles you, It's just impossible to give these characters The time that they need or deserve To kind of establish themselves here This was the era where I think I Kind of started to stop caring About new characters because 
you know, you get to that tipping point. You know, I've talked about the tipping point as it pertains to, like, a comics backlog, right? When you have a stack of, like, 10 comics, it's like, yeah, I can get to that. I can read that in a weekend or whatever. Then you get to 20, and it's like, oh, okay, I can read a couple of those a day, and I can catch up. But then you get to a stack of, like, 100, and you're just like, yeah, I'm never going to get to that. You know, I'm never going to get to those books. That's how I feel about these characters. It's like, okay, well, here's three new characters. Okay. Okay, I can follow that. Oh, here's three more. Okay, well, well, here's 15 more on top of those six. It's like, well, okay. And then, okay, well, here's another 50. I just stop caring. It's like, if all these characters are important, then really none of them are important. And if you're not giving screen time to very many of them, how, how am I supposed to establish any sort of connection to these characters? It felt to me like they were just breeding, you know, uh, what do they call them, red shirts over in the Star Trek lore? It's like... Here's a bunch of characters who have kind of unique looks, and, uh, well, if we need someone to kill, let's start killing them. Which, you know what, um, kind of plays into the Tim Drake uh, Teen Titans analogy there, because that's what they were doing with those characters for a while, too. Back to Meal and the Jean Grey School. This is the gen that gets varied. iBoy and Kid Omega get used a lot in this Krakoan world, while when was the last time you saw Sprite in hindsight getting any lines? This is true. Also, because people like Hellion and Rockslide are kind of considered Jean Grey schoolers, uh, what is the age of this generation? And uh, we did talk a little bit about the age uh, when, uh, what's his face, Elixir called Anole Kiddo, which didn't seem to, uh, didn't seem to work for me, but uh, I mean, fast and loose, I think. It's, uh, we don't, or we're not supposed to, think about that kind of stuff here. I think they are whatever age they're needed to be. I can think back to the first time I noticed a character getting de-aged, which was, uh, well, back to Jubilee. You know, Jubilee in the X-Men always struck me as being, I don't know, 16 to 17 years old. You know, she was an older teen, or a mid to older teen, I suppose. But when she was put in Generation X, it was like, okay, well, she's like 12 or 13 now. Felt like, uh, I don't know, felt a little inorganic, and uh, I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it then. Now, I mean... I'm just a jaded, cynical comic fan who's like, okay, well, that's what they're telling us it is, so that's what it's going to be. So, uh, yeah, I don't know about the ages of these characters. It's uh, it's very bizarre. And, and one thing I forgot to mention about the, uh, the Academy X crew here, you mentioned Laura uh, leaving Hellion to be with Warren here. I feel like when Bendis came on board here, he started passing Laura around like crazy. I mean, she was with uh, Cyclops for a minute to try to play into the weird Cyclops and Wolverine rivalry. And uh, then she was with Warren for uh, the remainder of the time here. It's uh, something I'd forgotten all about. Back to Meal. Overall, who needs an X-Corp and Excalibur when ex- instead you can use these amazing characters that need more love? So until the Super Sons are reunited, be mine, X-Lapsed. And you're right. I mean, there are a lot of uh, a lot of pools that we could be dipping into here to explore characters and to build characters and to just revisit some old favorites or maybe some uh, put a new uh, fresh coat of paint on some uh, characters who may have a little bit of a decade relevant stigma on them, like a '90s character or a turn of the century character. I guess this is another opportunity for me to push for the return of X Men Unlimited. I can't believe I'm saying that, but. Uh, that would be a pretty good spot for it, and it would also be a pretty good spot for some of the uh, books out there that I feel cannot carry their own weight, such as an X-Corp and many times Excalibur. 
But uh, thank you so much for writing in and sharing your thoughts on the younger heroes of Krakoa and uh, the various iterations of the Xavier and or Jean Grey school meal. Uh, next up, Evan. Hey, speaking of X-Corp number one, he's talking about X-Corp number one. Evan says, I can understand your frustration with the issue, and I won't fault you for being negative because you recognize it's your opinion and you're not demanding that anyone else think that way. Well, thank you. Like I say, you know, my thoughts represent me. And only me. I was actually asking for anybody who like X-Corp to write in and, and have that discussion because we may learn something, you know? We may see something through a different prism and become, I don't know, a little bit more uh, accepting or appreciative of uh, certain little story bits or uh, character traits. Evan continues, I'm going to harp on one solitary aspect of it that may just be me overreacting, but here we are. I can understand the choice of Angel and M, or Penance, or M-Plate, or Monet, or whatever we want to call her, and whoever the writers and editors want to feature. I mean, the most successful mutant business person I can think of is Sunspot, since, as an Avenger, he pulled off a hostile takeover of AIM, kept the Avengers going when the rest of the team fractured in the lead-up to Secret Wars, and kept his own corporate team running afterwards. But maybe they just forgot. I mean, those stories were written by people like Jonathan Hickman and Al Ewing, so okay, I kid. Maybe they just didn't want to tread the same ground. Good thing Berto is off in space and not doing grunt work for Forge and the footage of the ad. Um, well, still, they're, they're focusing on different characters. It's not like the action in Sunspot's demonstrated area of expertise is happening on familiar turf like his home country. Seriously, they don't need to use Sunspot, but stop tailoring the story to him without at least acknowledging as to why the most obvious guy for the job is not involved. Say something like, he's too close to some of those AIM guys, or he keeps talking, taking the gate back to the Shi'ar space to hang out with Deathbird and Mrs. Board meetings. Something along those lines. And you are correct. I would have assumed that this would have been a uh, very uh, Berto-centric book here when it was announced. Of course, we saw Angel and uh, M on the promotional art, but I figured that Sunspot would be in there somewhere because that's just kind of what he's been doing for a very long time. I mean, going all the way back to, you know, the earliest issues of X-Force where he and Gideon are doing, uh, you know, boardroom meetings with, uh, with some companies in the World Trade Center. I mean, it's... That's kind of what he's been doing for a very long time. He was born into that sort of position here. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird. I mean, he did get an interview, so maybe he'll show up. Uh, but uh, who can say? Who can say? We, we don't know how much longer this series is even going to run. Uh, I did look in the Marvel previews, and there's no solicit for issue six, which makes me kind of giddy. Uh, <laughs> now Evan continues. I hope at least the flying headquarters turns out to be Ship. Or even better, that Ship shows up in a later issue, having hired Sunspot's space lawyer to sue X-Corp for copyright infringement. You know, that might make this thing all worthwhile. You know, just, just end it with just an like a, like a wah-wah and uh, just confirm that we've uh, all been trolled out of $20 of our hard-earned money. You know, let's <laughs> just end it that way. We can all kind of just lower our heads and be like, yeah, you got us. You got us. But uh, thank you so much for writing in about X-Corp here. I think uh, X-Corp's going to be an interesting one to talk about for all the wrong reasons. But uh, that's going to do it for the mailbag here. Uh, we got a couple more shorter segments to get to here. We got the Week in X, and uh, we're going to look at the Marvel Unlimited releases and also what's showing up on the shelves this week. Now, Marvel Unlimited, it's a pretty small week for uh, the X-Lapsed Among Us. It's going to be New Mutants number 18 and X-Men number 20. 
Now, if you're a completionist on all things X, uh, you also have Heroes Reborn, Magneto, and the Magnetic Forces of Magnetic Magnetic Men, or something along those lines here. The, the Heroes Reborn thing, the Squadron Supreme thing that we didn't pay any attention to. Then, on shelves, we got Hellions number 15, New Mutants number 21, we got a couple of trades. We got Marauders by Duggan Volume 1, Wolverine by Percy Volume 1. Uh, and in completionism areas here, which I'm not sure if we're going to cover uh, one of these. I know for sure we're not going to cover the other. But we have Dark Ages number 1 coming out. Again, I've heard that that's an alternate reality. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, I'm going to have to rely on uh, listeners to let me know if this is something we need to include in our coverage. And finally, Demon Day's Cursed Web number one, which is the Peach Momoko vanity thing, which we are not going to look at, but uh, it's there if you want it. Also worth noting, Moon Knight number one's getting a second printing, despite the fact that uh, you can literally choke a dragon with the amount of unsold copies of Moon Knight number one that I've seen in the shops just this past week. So uh, yeah, we need a second printing of that, like uh, well, like we need second printings of all the uh, Demon Day's issues, I suppose. But that's the week in X. Let's leave with some shout-outs here. I want to thank the folks who clicked the heart, the thumbs up, the little swirly thing that shares the show on social media. And they include folks on Twitter like Mark Yeager, Dave Schultz, Dan Niles, Joe Crawford, Professor Allen, Chris Bailey, Walt Nealon, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jeremiah, Professor Frenzy, and Billy D. Uh, thank you all so much for helping to uh, signal boost the little show that could. Uh, over on Facebook, Joe Crawford, Andrew Franklin, Jody Yarden, Jesse DeYoung, Jeremiah, Pat Sampson, Billy D, Walt Neeland, and John Paul Thibodeau Scott. Thank you all so much. Like I like I always say, these this shouldn't mean much to me, but uh, trust me when I say it really, really does. So thank you so much. Now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, you could do so several different ways. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, as well as the entire X-Lapsed radio archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Available everywhere and anywhere that the internet aggregates noise and or sound. But uh, that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing some time with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.